The New Testament has to be the most compact book in the history of the world. It has just four points in its 27, uh, chapter, 27 books. Number one, the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Number two, the book of Acts, how to become a Christian, how to benefit from the life we've just learned. Then 21 epistles, Romans through Jude, taking a step further, how to live the Christian life. And then finally, Revelation, that tells us the hope of a Christian, the life of Christ, how to become a Christian, how to live as a Christian, how to die as a Christian. That's the New Testament. Tonight we've come to discuss what it means to be a Christian. And we'll basically be in those books, Romans through Jude, for most of our references. But there are a lot of things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that really challenge our attention concerning the life of a Christian pattern after Christ. And the book of Revelation, in an exhilarating way, projects and propounds in our hearts and minds there's a place we're headed toward and we don't want to miss it. I believe one of the finest commentaries biblically on everything we've said all week and even this introductory material is the last two verses of the little one-chapter book of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless with his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God be glory and power, dominion and majesty both now and forever. Amen. We're pressing on to higher ground. Paul said, I forget the things that were behind and reaching forth the things which are before, I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Later in that same third chapter of Philippians, he closes by saying, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior, who shall fashion our vile body like his glorious body. Paul summed up what the Christian life was all about in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, Follow me as I follow Christ. You can follow me as long as I follow Christ. If I quit doing that, don't follow me. That's what he's saying. There's salvation in none other under heaven. It's in the name of Christ that men are redeemed, saved, cleansed, purified, is the teaching of Acts 4.12. And the people could tell they, the apostles, had been with Jesus. Can people tell that we've been with him? In the Old Testament, Zechariah 8.23, the people observing God's people said, we'll catch hold of you and go with you. We've heard the Lord's on your side. Could people catch hold of us and follow us all the way home to glory? Could they follow us as we followed Christ right into heaven? Hebrews 6 says he's now in heaven for us. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Hebrews 9, 24. He's our forerunner to heaven. John the Immerser was Christ's forerunner. And Jesus naturally followed where John led and paved the way and knocked down the mountains and filled up the valleys, Isaiah 40, so that suddenly the Lord could come to his temple. John did a great job as Christ's forerunner, and Christ is our forerunner, and he's perfect. So as long as we're following him, as long as we follow him with us wherever he goeth, the book of Revelation says, we'll wind up where he is, and that's in heaven. I hope to say some things tonight that will help us to understand what it means to be a Christian. Of the 30 or 31 parables that Jesus taught, I believe the most enchanting, enthralling, thrilling, pulsating one is a little, well, two back to back. The parable of the pearl of great price and the parable of the hidden treasure. I've read those out loud before in Bible class. I said, tell me the difference in those two. Well, it looks to me like they're the same thing. No. One was seeking goodly pearls and found it and gave up everything he had to possess it. The other wasn't looking for it. 
and he stumbled upon the treasure, but he gave up everything he had to possess it. I believe the first represents the Jewish nation looking for the Messiah. The other, the Gentiles, who were not looking, but still found him. But they both had to do the same thing, give up everything they had to possess, citizenship in that kingdom. It's that valuable. Our Lord said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? When you combine those two parables of Matthew 13, verse 44 and 45, with that challenging statement of Christ in Mark 8, 36 and 37, you come to realize how important it is, how imperative it is, how necessary it is, that we follow the Lamb whithersoever it goeth, as Revelation 14, 4 teaches. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, first of all, it means I inherit all spiritual blessings, for they're located in Christ and nowhere else. Before the world began in heavenly places, Jehovah willed that one day all spiritual blessings would be located in one reservoir, in Christ. Four verses later, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7. Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, Revelation 1, 5. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, Galatians 1, 4. So we're to have the mind of Christ in us, Philippians 2, 5. If any have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his, Romans 8, 9. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. That's what it means to be a Christian. Galatians 4.19 says, I travail in birth till Christ be formed in you. The goal of Paul was to transform servants of Satan into ambassadors of Christ, servants of Christ, followers of Christ. And so you can cover the entire New Testament and you keep coming up with the fact that Christianity is God-honoring, Bible-based, Christ-obeying, heaven-bound people. The book, the Savior, the Father, heaven are linked together. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so we need to remember the beautiful words of the last paragraph of Romans 11. I've been told, I believe it's true, that chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans would be the difficult section, the quote doctrinal section if you please. But at the end of some very challenging, difficult passages, not too difficult to understand, but you can't just in a cursory, casual way get the meat out of those chapters. But at the end of what would be called the difficult, deep, doctrinal section of Romans, have you ever noticed how an inspired writer seems overwhelmed with what he's inspired to write? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor, who hath first given unto him, and it should be recompensed to him again, for of him, by him, to him are all things, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. Do you know what immediately follows that challenge? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable or spiritual service, and be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know the key word in Romans 12, 1? Therefore. It's a hinge word that ties what preceded the unfathomable and unfathomed, incomparable love of God tied on to our response to that. Sacrificially serving. That's what it means to be a Christian. We have all spiritual blessings. We have every incentive that heaven could ever give us. And how we need to appreciate that.
Psalm 37, 25 says, I've been young and now I'm old. That I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. Psalm 46, which tops my list as the greatest psalm of all. I think it's even more comforting than the 23rd psalm at a funeral or occasions like that when people are sad and distraught. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and be cast in the depths of the sea. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 84.10 He ruleth by his power forever. Psalm 66.7 Jehovah reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. Psalm 93.1 Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works, the children of men. Psalm 107, verse 21 and repeat in verse 31. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. Are you getting the point from these scriptures meshed together that we are indeed blessed as children of God? What does it mean to be a child of God, a Christian? I inherit the comfort, the guidance, the sovereign rule of Jehovah who made the world and everything in it. Instead of us murmuring and complaining and talking about how everything's against us and the world's a terrible place, we ought to be singing songs based on these psalms. Years ago when I was driving, before my eyes went a little bad, I'd sometimes drive like one time from Detroit, Michigan, all the way down below Dallas where I was living. I drove from Anaconda, Montana on the longest drive ever by myself, all the way back to the Fort Worth area where I was living. And most of that time I'd leave as soon as services were over on Thursday night or Wednesday night or Friday night and just drive on. And you know what I did most of that time? I set a tune to some of the psalms I'd memorized. The Bible commands us to sing psalms, and it literally means that's what they were singing partly in the first century. And I don't know of anything that was more edifying than to let the Bible do the talking and have communion with God, if you please, as we went along those many, many miles. And it was comforting. It was challenging. It was heartwarming because the Lord had revealed in His Word, in essence, He said, I love you meaning every accountable being on earth, everybody. What does it mean to be a Christian? I inherit spiritual blessings and a closer walk with God. Remember that Jesus told Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary had chosen that good part. It'll not be taken from her. What was Mary doing that Martha wasn't doing? Seeking spiritual strength. Martha wasn't a wicked lady. She was even doing what was normal and natural, preparing a meal for her guests. But that was more important to her on that occasion than imbibing the words of Christ. Reminds me of a lot of members of the church I've known in my day. And I guess each of us have passed that way of emphasizing the secular and de-emphasizing the spiritual and the eternal. And the one thing that was needful was listening to, imbibing, intending to obey the words of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. A close, constant fellowship with the Lord. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I be afraid? And the fourth verse of Psalm 27, which is a brilliant stanza to study and read out loud. In fact, you'll get more out of Psalms if you read them out loud. And you mothers and fathers, read them out loud to your children and let them fall in love with this communion with God, this fellowship with the Savior, the spiritual blessings. Psalm 27.4, One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing shall I strive after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's my goal, my thrust, my ambition. That's my destiny. And that's what it means to be a Christian. J. 
Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We usually back, turn that backwards. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be. That's not what Jesus said. I believe it is proper for me to teach and train brethren to give more so they love the Lord more. He didn't say if you love the Lord more, you'll get more treasure. He said where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Now, when people mature as Christians, they give because they love to give and they love the Lord to whom they're giving and His cause that they want to extend. I believe it would be proper for me to teach a man to invest in the work of the Lord so he'd love the Lord more. That's what Jesus said. And people who don't have time and energy and money and concern and self to give to God don't understand what it means to be a Christian. And I don't believe you could uh, exhort them seven times a day and make them any better until they fell in love with the Lord. And how are we going to arrange that? In Philippians 1.21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I used to say that Christianity is the best way of life. But now I say Christianity is life. Jesus came to give us life, and that in abundance. John 10.10. 10. And so we need that overflow in our lives. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the best place to read the 23rd Psalm, I'll say it again, is at the Lord's table. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. To whom did the Lord give the Lord's table, the Lord's supper? To his disciples. Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 11, Mark 14, Matthew 26. And so when we think of death, we think of the death of the Lord. What better time to read the 23rd Psalm in context at the Lord's table. If you think that's crazy, read the psalm before it, Psalm 22, which predicts the death of Christ. And even speaks of God's darling Son projected between heaven and earth and people at the foot of the cross casting dispersion upon Him. That's exactly what happened when Christ died. Psalm 22, the cross of Christ. Psalm 23, the comfort of Christ. Psalm 24, the coronation of Christ. Open up your heads, O ye gates. Even be they lifted up who shall come in? The Lord of glory. He is the King of glory. He will come in. So we need to emphasize the comfort, encouragement, help, sustenance that the Lord provides for us. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagles. They run and not be weary. They walk and not faint. That famous verse of Isaiah 40, 31, and it's written in backward form to the way we write today. No journalist today would say fly, run, walk. It'd say walk, run, fly. But the Bible has it in the opposite arrangement. Why? If we can only be happy in the Lord when things are going great and bright and quote the church is on the march, unquote, we won't be able to sustain that when we have to slow down and run and then walk. We're living in that walking stage right now. The world's a bleak place. You'd have to hide your head in the sand. To not understand that we're in wicked, sorry, shallow times today worldwide. But if we can't walk with the Lord patiently, lovingly, realizing every breath we breathe and every blessing we share came from Him into our lives, we're in real bad shape. I hope then that this lesson tonight will show us again what it means to be a Christian. Second Peter 1, 3-11 says, All spiritual blessings are in Christ. And all things that pertain to life and godliness are in Christ. You've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Him. 
Now add to your faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, and abound in these things, lest you be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and have forgotten you were purged from your old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling election sure. For if you do these things, you shall, you shall never fall. For so shall an abundant entrance be ministered unto you into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. All this in heaven too. Blessings that sustain us right now. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near and he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55 verse 6 and 7. What does it mean to be a Christian? I have all spiritual blessings. And that leads to the next point naturally. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one to receive these blessings. Every faithful child of God on earth has access to the same blessings. So one of the great things of what it means to be a Christian is I have godly associates. 1 Corinthians 15.33 reminds us that evil companions corrupt good morals. But Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us come up to the house of the Lord. In Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In Psalm 144, verse 15, Happy are the people whose God is Jehovah. I have brothers and sisters in Christ and the family of God to help sustain me and to give me courage and to make life a lot brighter. What would we be just right here in this congregation if you didn't have brothers and sisters in Christ? I've seen by the signing of these cards and the prayers that have been offered on behalf of those who are ill or bereaved or in danger and need help to see an overflowing of brotherly love and compassion. How would you like to live where you didn't have any of that? Even access to it. Didn't know any other faithful member of the church on earth. In my travels around the world preaching, I've been in huge cities sometimes, and if there were a single member of the body of Christ after even research, I wasn't aware of it. It's a sad, lonely feeling. But in Christ, the godly associates lift us up, encourage us, make us stronger. In Romans 15, 6, we read, With one mind and one mouth glorify God. When I have someone else to stand with me and hold up my hands and hang down and strengthen my feeble knees, and that's a quote from Hebrews 12, I have help that cannot be replaced by anyone else or any other place. 1 Peter 1, says we're to love one another with a pure heart fervently. We're to love the brotherhood. 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 Peter 2, 17. And so when we stand together in a solid phalanx against error, the camaraderie of New Testament Christians is richer than any other thing that we could ever consider. I hope and pray that we'll not go through life and fail to count our blessings of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means I belong to Christ. I'm His. I'm not my own. Glorify God in your body and in your spirits which are His. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He's mine by right of possession. He died and shed blood to purchase the church that He added me to. Acts 20, 28. Matthew 26, 28. And so I belong to Christ, the only perfect one who ever lived. When I say I'm a Christian, and that's what you ought to say when someone asks what you are religiously, say I'm a Christian, a member of the church you read about in the Bible. Don't be sectarian and say I'm a church of Christ. By yourself you couldn't be. 
in Wisconsin years ago, Fessler, I'm a church of Christer. I've heard men who claim to be gospel preachers say, I'm a church of Christ preacher. That's sectarian. I'm a gospel preacher. I'm God's preacher. I know I'm not a church of Christ preacher because I say some things a lot of members of the church of Christ don't like to hear. Let's don't be sectarian. If I'm a Christian, I belong to Christ. He left heaven, came to earth, shed blood at Calvary to redeem me, to ransom me from sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and following. You are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold received by vain tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without spot or blemish. Verily was foreordained for us from the foundation of the world. What happened these last days has been made known unto us. We're His by right of possession. He redeemed us. He owns us. We're His. I belong to Christ. And that had better be the most sacred relationship we could ever have. I love you, my brethren, and express that over and over. And I mean it. My wife will tell you I never say something I don't mean. But I love the Lord more because He's the one that bound us together and binds our hearts in Christian love, as we often say. I wouldn't want to give up that relationship if everything else in the world ended I'd still want that relationship. I believe some of the finest words ever spoken by a human being, a human being just like us, came in about the year 155 in Smyrna by a man named Polycarp who was being burned at the stake because he was a Christian. They said, if you'll denounce Christ, we'll set you free. And they lit the fire, the foot, his foot where the wood was ready to go. Soon he was inflamed. They said, we'll still release you if you'll just deny Christ. And he said, 80 and 6 years have I served the Lord and he's never forsaken me. Shall I forsake him now? No. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's what he said as he was burned to death for the cause of Christ. Revelation 2.10 says, be faithful unto death. And from the original language, that means as death hovers over you. As persecution is imminent and piercing into your life. Don't deny the Lord. Don't denounce Christianity because of persecution. You see, with much tribulation, they entered the kingdom, Acts 14, 22. Paul said, I protest by rejoicing. I die daily. The sentence of death is always upon me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 30 and 31. 2 Corinthians 1, 9. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, 12. If we deny Him, He deny us. If we confess Him who confess us, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. See, the early Christians didn't live on Easy Street. Sometimes they met in catacombs, in tombs, in barns, in brethren's houses because of intense persecution. And yet they spread the gospel throughout, throughout the Roman Empire, emblazoned the truth of the gospel even into Caesar's household, Philippians 4, 22. All the saints salute you, chiefly those of Caesar's household, Paul wrote. They belonged to Christ and weren't ashamed of it. To them, that was the heart and core of their existence, and they'd gladly die for His cause. And so, I belong to Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Romans 8, 1 and 2, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord, for the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And you know what's so thrilling about Christianity? We're free. We have freedom in Christ. But that does not mean what the libertines say. In the first century, there were those who claimed to be devout Christians. But he said, while they promise you liberty, they themselves are the bond slaves of iniquity. You know what freedom in Christ really is, according to the Bible? 
the freedom not only to do God's will, but the freedom to want to do what God wants me to do. That's real freedom. I do it because I want to do it, whatever the consequences. That's what it means to be a Christian. I belong to Christ, and whatever the consequences are, that's just the way it'll be. For as a result of this close-knit relationship with the Lord, hearts knit together in love, Colossians 2.2, 2, I have helped beyond today. The Lord who died that I might live has said, if you'll overcome, you can come over and live with me, even as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in His throne, Revelation 3.19. Though He were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which He suffered, and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation and all them to obey Him. Famous words of Hebrews 5, 7, 8, and 9. And verse 7 says, with great agonizing tears, talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, He acquiesced and said, not my will, but time be done. And so the difference in a doubled-up fist, my will, and a nail-pierced hand that says God's will is the difference in heaven and hell. And some people go through life with that doubled-up fist. I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. It's no one's business, not even the Lord's. And they're miserable in this life and lost forever in the world to come. What it means to be a Christian. I belong to Christ. I have hope beyond today. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. So come what may, whatever men may do, because of the stance I take as a Christian, the Lord will see me through it. He'll take man and lead me to glory. That's what it means to be a Christian. I have hope beyond today. Paul wrote to Titus, an evangelist in a very wicked place, the island of Crete in the first century. And he said, there's a hope laid up for us unto him who loved us. There is a hope beyond today. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. And out there on that wicked island of Crete, the most atrocious people lived around him. Here was a young preacher who was strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, who realized there was something beyond today, hope that men don't even understand. In Mark 10, 30, our Lord said, No one has given up anything for my sake in the kingdom, houses, lands, fathers, mothers, but what in this life he'll receive a hundredfold, and in the world to come, eternal life. That's what it means to be a Christian. It also means that I speak up for truth. I'm not a coward, trembling in the side of the road, hidden away from people, afraid to stick my head out of the house. I stand up for truth, publicly and privately, in Bible classes from the pulpit on Main Street, among kinfolk who are not in the Lord and who despise the church of the Lord. I speak up for Christ. Second Corinthians 4.13 says, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Evidently, some of us don't really believe. For we never speak up for Christ, never mention His name. We've sort of been led to believe it's impolite to talk about religion in public. It's ungodly not to. Now, we need to do it in love, Ephesians 4.15. But to fail to speak up for Christ means we don't really believe in Christ. These are things that we ought to seriously think about. 1 Peter 4.11 commands Christians, If any man speak, speak as the oracles of God. Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. Truth never dies. 
And we need to speak up for the Lord and let people know that we believe in him. Once Aristotle said of his greatest friend and benefactor and teacher, Plato is dear to me, but dearer still is truth. Do you feel that way about truth? I love my mother and dad, but they taught me to love the truth more than them. Several times in my life they said, Son, if we ever teach you to do anything contrary to the will of God, you obey the Bible and disobey us. That's good advice for parents. And I had better than average parents that loved the Lord and loved the church, but they knew they weren't as strong as truth, and they weren't holding a copyright on truth. And they wanted me to always stand up for truth. You know what it means to be a Christian? Some of my brethren evidently don't know this. It means I'll strive to be pure in life, not worldly, shallow, carnal, mundane, immodest. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, for they shall see God, Matthew 5, 8. Think on things that are pure, Philippians 4, 8. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Jesus said. How can you being evil speak good things? By your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned, Matthew 12, 34 to 37. A word properly spoken is like apples of gold in framework of silver, the book of Proverbs teaches. And several other passages similar to that are in the book of Proverbs. And so it means I'm pure in life. That's what it means to be a Christian. I abstain from all appearance of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. I keep myself pure, 1 Timothy 5.22. I depart from iniquity, 2 Timothy 2.19. For the Lord said, Be ye holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. These are just some of the things it means to be a Christian. But let's talk in closing about that hope of heaven beyond the veil of tears, a vibrant hope of heaven. It's not incidental. It's one of the main thrusts of our life. We're to be joyous even in this life and have an optimistic spirit. And some of my brethren uh, looked like they were run over by a truck that ran back over them again and then a tornado hit them. They're like that guy in Lil Abner had a dark cloud over his head, an accident waiting to happen. And yet they claim to be Christians and they're almost totally pessimistic. Were it not for the optimist, the pessimist would never know how happy he wasn't. When opportunity knocks, the pessimist complains of the noise. I've seen some folk who claim to be Christians that seem like they have no hope at all. In Matthew 8, 11, our Lord said, Many shall come the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those great patriarchs that had honored for centuries, we want to go where they are, and he promised the faithful They'd be there someday. We're not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe unto the saving of the soul. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for they shall rest from their labors and their works do follow them. That message of Revelation 14, 13 certainly tells us you can't die in the Lord if you don't live in the Lord. And yet some who claim to be living in the Lord don't act very optimistic about the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Galatians 6, 9. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And so we need to persevere. Press on. All preachers have favorite passages, and many have favorite verses that came from the pen of Paul who wrote half the New Testament. I'll tell you my favorite, besides Romans 8, and 2 Corinthians, 
8 verse 9. My favorite is the last paragraph Paul wrote before Nero put him to death. From a prison cell, soon to be put to death by wicked Nero Caesar. 2 Timothy 4, 16-18, Paul said, At my first defense, no man stood by me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me and shall preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. That's what it means to be a Christian. Know you're going to die for Christ, and that's all right. You're ready. Be far better over there anyway. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Philippians 1.23, For our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, When we see him, we'll be like him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, and such we are. 1 John 3, 1-3. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. 1 John 3, verse 3 itself. 2 Thessalonians 1, after mentioning that when the Lord comes, those who knew not God and obey not the gospel would be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. He said, when he'll come to be admired by all the saints. When you can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, instead of depart from me, I never knew you. Victory shall be won. Our life will have been meaningful. And we can go on to be with God in glory. Romans 15, 13, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope. These are but a few of the things. I have about half again what we've already said. But these sum up what it means to be a Christian. He gives us incentive for life, purpose in living, opportunity in dying, and the hope of everlasting life in the presence of the redeemed of all ages before the throne of God in Christ. An old gospel preacher died now about 15 years ago. One of the better known preachers we've had in the last hundred years. Wasn't much of a singer, but he liked gospel songs and had a songwriter he took with him in the meeting work. Brother Austin Taylor, who wrote a lot of the songs in some of our books. And every time when it came to the end of a service, he asked that brother to lead, I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. That's what it means to be a Christian. When we lay our armor down at the feet of Christ, receive the crown of glory that fades not away, It'll certainly be with it, be worth it all. You've listened well tonight and all the other time. You're a great audience to listen carefully, to pay attention to what we're saying from God's Word. That shows reverence for the Scriptures. And we admire you for that. We now extend the Lord's invitation this last night of this Gospel meeting. And there are those here who need to respond to be stronger in the Lord and the power of His might or to obey the Gospel of the Son of God that you might get started on the road that leads to a golden street of glory. We extend the Lord's invitation to those who've never been baptized into Christ to put on Christ, Galatians 3.27. Or to those who've done that in days past and wandered back to the world to renew your allegiance, Acts 8.22. To come back to your first love, Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. And for all of us to leave tonight more determined than ever to show the world what it means to be a Christian. Won't you come as we stand and sing?